Yeah, sure. like I said, you know, you know, compare. I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear the two of you kind of compare and contrast in like your your fly fishing techniques. And um, honestly, when when we talk about stuff like this that I'm not as familiar with, I kind of try to just stay out of the way and and learn and you know <laughs> contribute where I can. But uh, like I said, just I'm I'm the southern guy that throws the bait casters around for for green bass. So. <laughs> Which I'm jealous of because, uh, well, I mean, I don't know my geography very well, but I mean, you say down south. Whenever you say down south, I think about like catfish. Is that a thing? There's a lot of that that goes on. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So. It was actually, so. Um, so I, I fish. Uh, I do a lot of tournament fishing. Oh, and I know, like like our, our first tournament this year, there was like a, there was a, there was a huge presence of of guys that probably took catfishing just as serious as I do bass fishing on that lake and. Like the first point we come, there was a guy with a pontoon boot just rigged to the T with rods off, and he was catching just absolute whales. It was hilarious. Oh, really? oh. Yeah, no, it's it's a big dealer. I and mean, you see a lot of guys fishing for them in like the rivers and stuff around here. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been down south. It's uh it'd be pretty cool. Um I have a few friends, of course, that live I don't think I you said Georgia, right? You're in Georgia? Yes. Or was yeah, it North John Georgia. that you north georgia yeah so yeah i've never i don't know anybody in georgia i don't think but yeah now we do it'd be a cool place to visit yeah for sure for sure like i said we 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 have uh we don't have the type of like seeing the pictures of the fish that john gets to catch in his rivers and stuff we don't have anything of that caliber but but we've got good um we've got some like wild wild trout streams and, and stuff like that up in the mountains it's you can kind of come to this area and, and fish for whatever you want. When you say mountains, um, we're talking the Appalachian Mountains, I'm assuming, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. We're kind of at the foot the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. Yeah. Well, there's definitely a bit of a, what's the word, like a culture around fly fishing in the Appalachians, isn't there? Like brook yes. trout, is that is that primarily what goes on? Yeah. Um, a lot of rainbows. Um, a, a few browns here and there, but um, mostly brookies a little bit further north towards Maryland, Virginia. And then where Casey's located and where I kind of, I was sandwiched between uh, Columbus, Georgia, which is, you know, beyond the mountains, you had to drive up to Atlanta. But then I lived in Columbia, South Carolina, which was just straight west. You hit the mountains on that, you hit the same spine that goes up there. And, um, most yeah mostly rainbow trout in that section and those mm-hmm. fish are fun i mean it, it is about as it's kind of surreal when you're like i'm in you know western south carolina northern georgia and you're fishing in very you know pr- pristine mountain trout water that is really it's cold it's spring fed so it's cold most of the mm-hmm. year yeah and i mean it, it's it's pretty remarkable when you're actually there you're like like if if you blindfolded me and put me in that sit like in that same situation, we're like I'm not in South Carolina right now. Oh really? Uh, oh yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's amazing what elevation can do, eh? Um, yeah, yeah. Same around here. We'll be you know I did a trip last year. We hiked in 50 kilometers back in. Uh, so we're talking the Rocky Mountains here. So yep. you know pretty. Uh, I don't know. The terrain is not rolling and gentle. The hike this particular hike wasn't too bad, but. Um, we got back in 50k so, i don't know sorry i'm talking canadian so <laughs> no i love I it what, i love it what the <laughs> hell is 50k in miles i don't know you guys can look that up and 
and translate for me later. Um, <laughs> but anyways, yeah. it, uh, uh, it, it like on this particular trip where, where we started down near the trailhead, it was like plus 30. So, and again, sorry, that's whatever, like 60 80, high 80s kind yeah, of thing. 80s, like that's warm. a 31 mile hike too for anyone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, but when we got up to the mountain, it was snow. Like there was snow okay. on the ground. It was sort of sleeting rain. Like, yeah, you know, it was, it's kind of crazy what elevation can do. Yeah. It's insane. I, uh, one of my first trips out with my friend moved out to Colorado, um, May of 2021. I was out there for a year for just finishing up my last year in the army. But I'm, you know, New York is very, accessible and very flat when it comes to terrain and a lot of our you know lake erie lake ontario tributaries you park most of the parking spots are within a baseball throw of the river and there's enough parking spots and that in river access we don't really have to walk Um, there's definitely a couple remote rivers where you can walk a couple miles here and there but for the most part like you have very easy access and you're never far from from the truck but uh i've quickly learned in colorado that is not the case yeah right what is it about the rocky mountains you just get out west and i don't know if i don't know what it is but there's a definite geographical thing where i see out east that roads tend to follow rivers mm-hmm. and for for whatever reason out west here roads intersect rivers so yep. you'll cross like all of well not all obviously but our highways, our dirt roads. We have a one famous road here in Alberta called the Forestry Trunk Road, and it runs north south. So, just every I don't know, every like twenty miles or so, you're crossing another trout stream or river, right? But that's the <laughs> problem is you're crossing it. So, yeah. Well, it's a it's a blessing and a curse. You don't have a lot of access. So that yeah, stream, right. for instance, will go like whatever. It'll go to the Arctic Ocean, right? So you you can go for miles you know before you will hit any sort of other road or civilization so yeah it's really easy to get into the back country here in alberta that's awesome really easy yeah yeah y'all want to go ahead y'all want to go ahead and knock the intro off so that we can you know still have a little bit of content (laughs) because all that was great (laughs) (laughs) i'll give i'll give him a timestamp so that we know where to start at (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Fish Lift Eat podcast found here on the Hunt Lift Eat podcast. Glad to have y'all back to join us again for another um, another round of good conversation around fishing. Um, my name's Casey. I'll be your host tonight. And along with me, as always, is John Hatton. How's it going, John? Good, Casey. How are you, man? It's been a, oh, it's been a while. I know, man. It's getting good. I'm glad that we're getting to uh, get to do these a little more regularly now. And uh, we got a special guest with us tonight. Um, we got Mr. John Schneider, or as you might see him on his podcast and his social media pages as Food Afield Podcast. How's it going, Mr. John? Hey, guys. I am very happy that you uh, have me on your show. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys. Yep. I feel like I'm amongst celebrity here. I don't, I don't know about that, but you're, you're definitely around, around people that have a, have a itch to itch to scratch when it comes to getting to talk about fishing any chance we get. Good. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, uh, you know, 
every, you know, viewers that have been been listening to us for a little bit now, y'all know that I'm more primarily, you know, down here in the south, bass fishing and all that. And when we start talking about fly fishing, I kind of got to throw the I got to throw the hat to John a little bit. So on this one, the Johns are going to kind of run the show because we've got a a very avid, very very experienced fly fisherman among us here that um got just really cool adventures that he goes on you know it's fun just to go through your social media you know go through your instagram pages and your podcast episodes and you do a variety of things along with fly fishing and hunting and eating and all kind of good stuff but um so let's just get it kicked off with kind of give our listeners a little bit of background about you um and you know what you what you do on a daily basis and kind of how fly fishing fits into that yeah sure thanks thanks for that um well, again, my name is John Schneider. I uh, am the creator of the Food a Field podcast. So, food, obviously, and then a field is an old word that we don't use very often. A F I E L D. Um, how? Yeah, that's interesting. So, what I do? So, my slogan is "Wild Food Ingredients and How to Collect Them." So that's kind of you know it's vague enough that I do a, a bunch of things at a bunch of different times of year. Living up here in Canada, fly fishing, there are opportunities to fly fish year-round, but they they kind of suck for different reasons, you know, like it can get really cold and and you know, so it's hard to hard to fish in those waters. There are some some people that do and and my hat's off to them, but those years are behind me. I <laughs> um so so anyways, uh how do I begin? I started back in my 20s, so we're talking about the early 90s. I started uh, guiding and outfitting uh, in the Arctic, Canada's Arctic, on the uh, what's called the eastern arm of Great Slave Lake. Uh, Great Slave Lake is is huge; it's like an ocean. So, um, I also at the same time started. Uh, outfitting guiding traditional bow hunting trips well you know the clients were just bow hunters period but i was more interested in the traditional bow hunting stuff so i don't know that gave me a real strong introduction to writing uh tv shows back in the day i was just talking about this back in the 90s there was no such thing as dvds or youtube or any of that like i was literally contacting clients by picking up the phone or putting ads in public you know hard paper publications or we would do the trade show circuit all through the states minneapolis uh, pennsylvania lansing michigan salt lake city like we'd go everywhere and just talk to people and uh so that put me in contact with a lot of i don't know like i use the word celebrity with you guys but you know chuck adams and these guys back in the 90s they they were looking for guys like us to take them hunting and fishing. And I actually never did take Chuck Adams hunting. So that, uh, that, that what's, what's that called? Clickbait, uh, <laughs> click, clickbait name, but anyways, lots of other guys. And, and then it gave me introduction to writing. So I was publishing in different magazines, you know, bow hunting and fly fishing magazines and things like that. So it's been something that's sort of evolving. And then nowadays, um, you know, with the advent of all this digital stuff, it's, it's been good and it's been bad because I've sort of lost touch with just talking with people, right. Is one thing you, you kind of get trapped behind the screen where you're just clicking buttons all the time, but 
it did give me the opportunity to start this podcast. Um, I'm also involved with a TV show. It's called From the Wild. It's created by my friend Kevin Coswin, and it's a web-based series. So if you go to fromthewild.ca, you can find his series. And then I've been on episodes off and on, um, you know, for nine years now. We're going into our 10th season here. So, um yeah, that's just what I do. How does fly fishing fit into it? Well, I don't know. Fly fishing's cool. We don't have bass up here, so can't bass fish. Um, I don't know. I just got into fly fishing um, with, uh, I don't know. I just sort of fell in love with it. In fact, I do know there was a, a guide up in the Arctic. His name was Charlie, and he was the head guide. He, I was in my 20s. He was in his 70s, and um he was into fly fishing and he was the guy that got me started and i don't know i've just never looked back since so yeah it's just an an interesting way in my opinion anyways to you know catch the odd fish every now and then and uh and then i like to relate it to wild food as best i can that's my gig that's what i do that's awesome yeah we got you yeah, so it's um, it's one of those things that just continues to evolve for me. The struggle is real, though, guys. Holy cow! Because I'm I'm an old guy, and uh, you know, like uh, so, it's just relearning a bunch of things. I mean, I can put together an article on bow hunting or on fly fishing or something like that and get it published, but you know, to publish things digitally and then work on all that SEO st- stuff being polite by calling it stuff but you know (laughs) it it gets a little repetitive and a little mundane you're kind of like and it's hard uh, man yeah and i i I was doing um a lot more guiding a lot more writing in particular before i deployed uh to afghanistan in 2018 as just kind of like it, it was a I want to do something entirely different from the army. It sucks up so much of my time and the, and the deployment was so much of a, a focal point that I just wanted to go fishing and, and my blog posts or writing or article was just, what did I do on the river? And I, I, I characterize and emphasize certain parts of the day or I spilled something or I lost a fish here or did that, but it was just a, it was a good outlet for telling a story of what the day really is um in a, in a, a little bit more of a creative way and i mean i probably had 10 or 15 people regularly read my stuff but the ones that did my friends were like hey i actually enjoy this like this is so when you do all the back work and you're like editing and pushing out content and it, it never you never really know who you're really affecting with it because usually the people that are getting the most out of it unfortunately aren't the ones reaching out and saying hey i really found this article interesting or I really enjoy like even me just scrolling through the Instagram page, it's phenomenal photography and artwork that you have on the page alone. Just curating a a grid on an Instagram page that flows and looks good and photos are edited and they're not just slapped up there. Um, You know, I I know how much work goes behind that, but it, it, the product does speak for itself. Yeah. Thanks bud. And you know what, that what is interesting about that. We talk a lot, uh, quite a bit about this. Um, none of that is for the gram. Um, the we, um, which sounds silly, but so there's all these layers 
in our outdoor activities. And we talk about this a lot. And you just described one of those layers. It's like, you know, anybody can go fishing. You can go fishing and have a great time. But then when you take a photograph of it, and it's a good photograph, and then when you learn editing and how to post, how to how to make that picture pop, right? And um, so there's that layer of learning that skill and then employing it, you know, or writing. Like you said, you, you write your blog articles, and I can relate to that. It's just something that will be there forever that your kids and your grandkids and other people will be able to watch and go, man, grandpa was badass. And, and I, yeah. I can't believe that he wrote this and, or, or took this picture <laughs> or, you know? Yeah. So it's all these, I don't look at it as doing it for other people. Although of course that is the end result. I just look at it as like, no, I want a damn nice picture of, of what I did that day, you know? So. I agree. I think that's the, I think that what that's what keeps you going with it is I'm I'm doing this for me I'm doing it my way, and I'm whether I'm you know handing it off to uh, my kids or my grandkids like at the end of the day I'm documenting this for myself and that's what like reminds me to take because I go fishing two or three times a week and I'm usually catching one or two it depends on how the steelhead are actually action but it, it, like that's what drives me to like take out the phone and take the photo. Versus just letting the fish go or, you know, cutting its gills and flaying it or it it goes in the same thing with hunting. It's doing it for yourself kind of helps keep, keep you going. Cause yeah. Right. Yeah. I agree. Were you guys even alive when the movie Titanic came out? You've seen Titanic, right? Is that 92 or 93? No, no. 90. 97 i think it was so yeah you would have been like what five i I was four you were four oh my (laughs) gosh so you know what i always think of when i'm out doing these things is like i don't know if you remember at the end of the movie when rose is laying in bed and she's she's about to go to you know go to sleep forever she's got all of those pictures up on her nightstand of her doing like cool shit like flying a plane and all that stuff and yeah, that's kind of the way I look at it, you know, is at the end of the day, I just want a bunch of cool sort of souvenirs of a life well lived, right? So that's yeah. my goal. You, and, you know, talking about that, that's probably the one the one piece of the puzzle that where I I think I've, I've matured more as like, you know, an angler and just like a spokesperson for the for the outdoors is, you know, in keeping those memories, you know, not not necessarily in a way of like, Hey, I just, I want to show off what I did because, you know, because I'm awesome or whatever. But like thinking back to like my early childhood and stuff, like when I really got into, into fishing, you know, with, with family and mentors and stuff like that, like I don't have, I don't have pictures. I don't have replicas. I don't have things that I wish I had, you know, I've, I've got them in a mental bank. Like I can remember, you know, specific fish that I caught. I could take you to the point, the brush pile or wherever that I caught it off of. But like trying to just like right now, I'm trying to vocalize that, but I don't have anything to show for it. And, you know, now that I've got, you know, two little boys, my oldest, you know, he's three and he's starting to really get into fishing. 
man, I'm like, I'm, I'm taking pictures of everything. Like we're at a farm pond <laughs> yeah. catching, catching bluegill and stuff. And like, he's just having the yeah. time of his life. And like, yeah. you know, I want, I want them to be able, like whenever they're older and, you know, they get this house or, or whatever that, you know, they, they come downstairs or when they come back to visit, there's just pictures all over the wall and, you know, replicas and stuff of, of those memories that they're able to show, you know, their friends, their kids, their families and stuff like that. Just, like I said, not not necessarily as a as a trying to show off thing, but just you know as as record of you know of the story that we're you know yeah. that we're adding a page to every day, every time we go on the water. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah we're saying the exact same thing. Yeah, and there's a bunch of different ways to do it too, right? I like the writing side of things. Hey, John, that's kind of fun to do. Um, you know what I find though is I'll write I'll write something, um, I'll write something and. I, I'll put it away, right? I'll publish it. Or even if I send it to a magazine um, and I'll, I'll read it, whatever, five years, six years, two months later, and then go, well, that was crap. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> completely redo it, you know, or whatever. So yeah. it is sort of fun even. Yeah, it's not forever. I mean, it's kind of neat. It is, it's fun to kind of recant where you were two or three years ago too when you were writing it and, and the photo that you took or the day that you had before that led up to it and that yeah yeah when you're young you're (laughs) yeah you're young you're writing like a valley girl or something right and then when you get older you get a little better vocabulary and you can articulate things a little better your writing changes it's it's really cool if you keep a record of your older stuff and read it you know you'll hate it right but then you really get to see the progression of over the years of how you change your writing skills yeah so so do you think having the, the digital outlets for that, it's easier to keep a record than like maybe the older days when it, everything was written, you know, paper and pen, you know, it might not, might not have been as easy to keep record of stuff, at least now, you know, where there's, you know, there's blogs there's social media, there's things like that on a digital platform that one, you can get more people exposed to it, but also maybe it's a little bit easier to, um, to keep those records. Yeah. Well, it sure is. Um, it's funny, I kept a journal when I was guiding in the Arctic, and I still have it, but I kept several journals, and that's the only one that survives. So, yeah, definitely is a better tool for sure for preserving that stuff. That's awesome. I've got an external drive now that, um, you know, I make sure because the Internet, you know, could go away at, at any point in time too, right? So I, uh, yeah. I, I have a hard drive so I can keep my stuff digitally, you know, for sure. Yeah. But awesome. you know, the layers are important, like we talked about and, and fly fishing is another one of those layers. So like, I don't know, I, I guess I can't speak for you, Casey, but I mean, like there's gotta be layers in it for you too. But for me, it's like, okay, so I can buy a fly rod, right. And I can buy, buy flies and I can learn to cast. Okay. Well, there's the one layer, right. Then I can progress to the point where I'm consistently catching fish. Okay. There's another layer. And then I can go, you know, I think I'm going to tie my own flies, right? And then you're, you know, then you're stealing hair off your Labrador or your cat or whatever, and you're tying the fly and you catch a fish with that fly and you're like, oh, sweet. Like there's another layer. And then you're spending thousands of dollars on fly tying materials and vices. And, uh, but you know, there's that. mm, So, and then even that activity gets a little addictive to the point. Well, not addictive. That's the wrong word, but it just gets enjoyable to the point where 
you know, there's, you know, some January afternoons where I just sit and tie flies for hours. I tie flies for my friends or I tie flies for specific trips or, you know, so there's another layer you call it. It's not fly fishing, but it's part of it. And then like we talked about before, oh, that's the other thing too with fly fishing is, uh, you know, even the collectability of things. So you can go on eBay, for instance, and, and find like an antique brass fly reel, you know, and it's not expensive. I mean, you, obviously, if you get a hardy reel, you're going to spend thousands, but you can get these old Hendrix reels that are just, you know, wicked cool and for whatever, it's 80 bucks or something. Uh, and then you can start building your own rods, right? And there's another thing, you know, like I just built myself a bamboo fly rod. Um, Ooh, so I don't know if it's a list of projects. I got yeah, to. it's fun. To, yeah, my, my favorite, you know, and, and you think to yourself, well, it must be so precious. No, I can't wait for it to break because then I get to build another one. Yeah. I almost abuse it, you know, trying to <laughs> throw it in the truck as they bounce down the road. Yeah, right. But are there things like that with your fishing, Casey? Like, are, you know, do you do you tie up your own bass bugs or anything like that or build rods? So it and there's a lot of similarities for sure. You know, like starting out, I think a lot of a lot of us probably started on like a local, like a private, um, um, like a farm pond or something, just fishing off the bank, you know, very simple, you know, soft plastic lures or something like that. And then it definitely evolves from there. You know, you start trying to, you know, get on, on big lakes and find patterns and stuff like that. But to um, the biggest similarity I probably have to like the fly tying is, you know, in the dead of um, winter, whenever I wasn't able to really get on the lakes, I started, um, I started painting lures. Um, oh, there you like go. That. Yeah, yeah, exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It just because, like you said, it, 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 it's not fishing. I mean, I'm not on the water catching fish, but I'm able to, you know, sit there with an airbrush and, you know, a pattern in my head. And I'm able to, you know, keep my mind kind of in fishing mode without without actually being able to throw anything in the water. So I picked that up and, um, you know, something I've, I've continued doing. And yeah, it, it just it, it there's that that gratification of of whenever you do go out and you use it and catching one on your own on something you made from from nothing essentially that's yeah you know it's a it's a different kind of a kind of drive to to do that yeah absolutely um I don't feel like I did a very good job sort of introducing my show but I mean I you know that gets weird real quick too but one of the big thrusts on my show is like. Uh, I try to, um, uh, I, it's, it's evolved a little bit lately where I'm starting now to like do the how to's, you know, so I get a lot of questions and comments of people that want to get started in whatever fly fishing, let's say, or traditional bow hunting or whatever. So that's kind of where my show is going a little bit. It will never be the focus because I've got too many people that already listen to the show that, you know, are beyond that. Having said yep. that, I haven't gotten any complaints either. So, you know, some of the, yeah. like me, I don't know what you guys think about this, but I, I don't know. I, there's nothing that you can't teach me, right? There is something that I can learn from every single person on this planet eventually. So I don't know. I mm -hmm. kind of like going back to the basics sort of stuff and I'll even go back and, and watch like how to fly cast videos and things like that and go oh well, that's interesting you know let me try that and yeah, yeah. 
So anyways, that's part of our show as well, getting people started. Yep. I think it, it's a good timeless uh, habit to, to really get into. When, when you're mastering fishing or anything else in life, it's I have yeah, a, right? a comfortable way yeah. that I can do this, but how can I make it a little better or just challenge yeah. the way I'm doing it? And yeah, exactly. I have, I, yeah. in the, um, when I was guiding up, when I was living up in Watertown, I was guiding with uh, my roommate's dad at the time, and him and I are still we're buddies. He lives in Rochester. We meet up all the time to go fishing, snowboarding. But every time we go fishing, it's just it. I could I could throw out everything I know about fly fishing. I could take him out on my waters. I can tell him exactly where the fish are, the rock that they're holding in, in a in a bucket that I've fished a thousand times. He's just going to approach it a little bit differently than I. Oh yeah, and I learn yeah, something exactly. every time. Whether it's the, however I'm rigging, however I'm approaching it, the rod technique, the, how do I want to fight it? How do I want to land it? And I might not ever change my way of doing it, but I can see it from a almost that third eye perspective and be like, huh, all right, well, it's a little different, but I think it and makes me better. He's doing the same thing. Yeah, and he's doing the same thing back exactly. to you, right? Yeah. But I think one of the other benefits of the how-to series, um, especially when, you, when you're when you pretty well-versed in a, in a subject, I think you just get just a little bit better as it, when you try and teach it to someone else because you have to 100%. break it down so Barney style that you're like, huh, why do I tie that knot that way? Yeah. Or why do I why – I, why did I ever like choose this type of fly rod for this type of fish? Well, I don't know what it's like with the bass fishing either, but I mean, with fly fishing, there's these new techniques that pop up all the time too. Hey, John, like, all the time, yeah. yeah. Oh, so, yes. Yeah, I mean, the last too. ten, fifteen years, I think um, the technology, and it probably this is consumer driven, but the technology and the kind of catering that the fishing industry has provided for retail customers is, in my 10, 15 years, I mean, it's exploded. I can find a fly rod for any type of technique and any type of length and any type of weight. And it might be a rod that I use twice a year, but if you're going to offer me a product to fit that one little niche or that one little Colorado trip that I go on, like I'm going to, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to tailor it, you know, some type of fishing style around it, whether it's Euro nymphing yeah. or spay yeah. fishing or bass fishing bass fishing on a fly rod is a huge subset and targeting mm -hmm. mike uh pike and musky and yeah. other warm water species has, has kind of been you know it, it, the fly fishing world's really done a good job expanding into making it applicable to just about any type of fishery any type of fish anywhere i have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with uh with gear you know, it's one of those things where it certainly creates a barrier to entry for a lot of people, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know that I teach a fly fishing course up here. It's called Fly Fishing 101. Um, I would say that at least half of the people that book a class with me are women. And not that that's very relevant, but, you know, the women do because i'll become friends with them afterwards or we'll go fishing or something lisa and aaron are, are two folks that have become really good friends of mine now because they took that course and they talk to me about sort of the barriers that exist right as you know mm -hmm. with gear right like what like i have to 
they because I guess they're women, maybe they haven't grown up with that culture, whereas us as men in a sport that in the past has been dominated by men, we're exposed to all the guys that have $3,000 setups of whatever it is, right? Yeah. Whether it's fishing or hunting. And so these new people come in and they go like, really? Like a pair of waders is $600 and a pair of boots is $400 and a fly rod is $1,000 and a fly reel is like, all of a sudden you got to take out a second mortgage on your home and you haven't even started fishing yet. And <laughs> so that's another sort of thing for me is like, you know, exactly what you just said, all of the gear is like really cool and you can nerd out on that. And then that creates another level of enjoyment for you because you can buy a new rod specifically for this trip that you're going on. But yeah, I tend to sort of fight against that sometimes too. Or I'm like, no, dude, just whatever. Just here's a rod you need. It's a basic starter rod. And here's a, you know, here's a fly, you know, the reel just carries the line. So, you know, you're not catching, you know, uh, uh, you know, a permit in in Ascension Bay or anything like that, right? You're just catching a little trout out of the Pennsylvania stream, right? So you don't need a big yeah. fly reel. So yeah. Anyways, that was that, my, that's my, often the, the gear question rant. asked or um, the first inquisitions. How do how do you get into it? And usually the how do I get yeah. into it? It's like what kind of gear do I need? And that's I I mean I have so many so much excess gear now that friends that want to get into it i'm like just show up man <laughs> like bring yeah. a six pack of beer i have extra waiters and booths and rods and if you want to progress from there we can talk but you know there there are and i kind of chunked it too into how often are going to use the equipment um if it if it's going to be a once or one to five time a year type of thing then go for the budget gear, go for the low end stuff because you're, you're not going to yeah. really beat it up that much in five trips that you need to justify yeah. going and spending the thousand dollars on a rod that you're going to break out of a case just a couple times a year. I got thrashed. It is, I just wrote rotation. Oh, sorry for cutting you off. We have a bit of a lag here, so I don't, oh, sorry yeah. about that, John. Um, I got thrashed because I wrote an article and a, a friend of mine posted it on his blog. And it was uh, it's an article that's up on my blog. My website is foodafieldpodcast.com. And uh, so I have a I hate the word blog. I don't know. It's an old man thing, I guess. I just can't stand that word. I don't know if anybody has words. So I call it the gazette, right? Because that's the fancy yeah. word for blog. But anyway, so if you go there, you'll see this article I wrote on, uh, I think it's called Five cheap gear hacks right so me and kevin we have a sort of a friendly competition where we see who can get the coolest whatever at a secondhand store right so my my article oh, no was like you know yeah like go buy like you can go to value village i don't know what you guys have down in the states for these secondhand stores but you know grandpa or dad or somebody you know dies and then there's a closet or a house filled with gear and old vintage wool clothing that you know somebody has to now get rid of so it goes to these secondhand stores and so you can go and get like like i said you can get like top of the line wool uh you know jackets and all sorts of things right that is like it's vintage cool 
and, and it costs you 20 bucks, right? And it, whereas if you yeah. bought the modern analog, it would be $1,000, right? So, but anyways, I got thrashed in the comments for that, you know, like just guys thrashing me, like defending this high, this high tech here, like they own shares in the company or something. It's kind of weird. <laughs> I don't get it. Like, but I whatever. I mean, I understood that one. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't. Yeah, like it's great. Just, I love my. I mean, whatever. I've got some expensive gear too, but I like. I don't care if you don't like it. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. why? What do I care? The, the comment section <laughs> on uh, on some of the posts. And oh, there was yeah. a a well known um, Salmon River, New York fishing page. That man, if you put any com- if you put a post up there. It, it could be the best post in the world, and you were just ruthless in the comment section. I was like, <laughs> every time I would read it, I was just like, "What? This what did post I say? was about you know anything. It, it, a post about I caught a fish today, and the comments would be like, "You are the worst human that's ever existed." <laughs> and I'm not joking. Like this page got de-banned, but the only good part was you could gauge where the fish were in the river and the general fish action, but you went to the comment section of those posts and it, it could be like a post about saving the world and <laughs> it would be a bloodbath in the comments every time. And I was just like, man, I know, I know from a psychological perspective, people leaving bad comments have more like internal issues than they do with yeah. my post or what I'm trying to project here. But man, is it a ruthless place sometimes. And it's all always some salty dude, right? It's some salty old it's guy like me something. that right. Yeah. Oh well. I don't know. I apologize on behalf of old guys everywhere. So <laughs> <laughs> But it is it's an interesting thing. Um the jacket looks phenomenal, by the way, for um, uh, the article pulled up. Um Oh, that that's my buddy Kevin, Kevin Gold that is wearing that. Yeah. Yeah, that old sheepskin jacket. It is epic, right? Yeah. The thing That's is, an awesome that, coat. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so we'll do all sorts of things. Like we talked about the layers of things too, right? Like, you know, why would you go to – some of our camps are pretty luxurious, right, where we have a wall tent set up and, and we'll actually, you know, up here you can leave sort of the basic infrastructure set up on crown land, right? Uh, you know, as long as you're not mm-hmm. wrecking it or polluting it. So we'll actually leave little caches of, you know, rubber made bins and we'll, we'll fill them with like, you know, crystal drinkware again, that we get at these secondhand shops, right. Or China yeah. or something like that. So when we yeah. go to, when we're in, in the wall tent in the middle of the boreal forest, we're like eating meals on, you know, like, whatever, I don't know, China, but you're eating meals on this crystal uh, or on this China and drinking like nice wine or beer or whatever you're drinking out of crystal glasses. So it's, I don't know, we kind of have fun with stuff like this, which earns us, it earns us the title of being pretentious or whatever, you know, but again, I don't care. It's just fun, man. Like, yeah, you know, why would you, you know, if, if, if I don't have to drink beer out of a can, why would I kind of thing? Right. So <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with drinking beer out of a can, but 
Yeah, I'm coming across uh, bad here. You... <laughs> no, I, I agree that that's Casey. I mean, you're not going to find this on a bass boat, but <laughs> no, I, th- I think the I, I as fun as it is, like, I, hey, trust me when I when I bring my pack down fishing, usually a beer or two in there that ends up crunched yep. and and put back in the pack, and I and I pack it back out. But yep. there is a yep. the allure behind, especially archery and fly fishing. Is, is that extra layer where you're very intimate and you're very close to the source of food. And in, in archery's case, you're very close to the animal that you're about to kill and putting that little bit of luxury on top of it. I and mean, we did it on the, in the army all the time. Like if we could, if we're sleeping in holes in in the mud and have a little tarp over our head, like you better believe just having a little bit of, yeah. extravagant something there it, it just makes that a core memory it, it it changes the situation entirely and it makes exactly this objectively kind of you know you get the question a lot like why would you walk 30 miles into the backcountry to go fishing that you're just gonna let the fish go or just have one or two and you're like there's so much more to it if you want there to be you don't need there to be but if you want there to be exactly is that way to have that just exactly you know, core memory for the, for the rest of your life. Yeah, exactly, man. Nailed it. It's just, you know, and whatever it, I don't know, Casey, I dare you to put a crystal goblet in your bass boat at the next tournament. That's oh, my dare all. to you. <laughs> That's awesome. But it you tastes know, better, the, dude. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> You know, on that though, you know, it's, you're talking about, you know, the eating and and the things like that on the riverbank. And and one thing on your, on your Instagram page that just, I'm drawn to on all of them are are the posts where, you know, you, you, you're cooking these fish on, you know, right there on the riverbank on, on open fire on rock and all that. So, um, what, um, like what are your, I guess recipes or like what kind of stuff are you doing in, in preparation mm. for that? And like how, what's your, um, you know, what's, what's the process of your favorite way to cook these fish right there on the river, just as fresh as it can be. Yeah, that's interesting actually. Um, so for the show from the wild, that is more of an, uh, a, f- a wild food end game show, meaning that the highlight of those shows are, you know, the dish that we prepare right? Or dishes that we prepare. So a lot of thought goes into, and most of that thought, uh, well, actually I just met with Kevin last night. It was my birthday actually yesterday. So Kevin came over for a, a drink and we had a, a business birthday. meeting. Oh, happy yeah, birthday. Thanks. Second drink for you. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so anyways, we chatted a bit about that. So moving forward in his show, I will be doing more prep, but my style is completely different. So for those shows, we will have an idea in our mind. We want like a, a Vietnamese-styled uh, uh, fish dish, let's say, right? So whatever recipe that would be, we'll practice it at home or we'll get familiar with the recipe. And then we actually, that's a big part of it, is bring the ingredients out with you into the field. A good friend of ours, Blair Lebsack, uh, is a chef and owns the restaurant uh, Range Road here in Edmonton. <clears throat> And he's actually one of the top chefs in the world. And um, 
So we kind of learned that trick from him. He would come up with this recipe beforehand. Okay, we're going to catch lake trout. We're at this, we're at, uh, you know, Spray Lakes in Kananaskis country high in the Rockies. Um, so he brings out all the ingredients in little, you know, containers to be able to put that recipe together. Um, so that's how we approach that. My sort of thing is less fancy. Um, I am sort of the, uh, you know, meat and potatoes kind of guy. So Kevin and really enjoys the more hot, the higher end stuff and which I admire. Um, but it's just not where my passion lies. So I tend to think of things in more simplistic terms. Like, you know, if it grows together, it goes together is, is a big, mm-hmm. uh, sort of mantra with us. So, we'll look for wild ingredients and I just sort of take inspiration for cooking something based on what I see at the moment. So um, my favorite way of doing fish, you know, is, and this is another thing we can talk about too. I don't know what it's like for you, John, fly fishing, but there's this sort of thing about fly fishing that is this, you know, this religious catch and release movement um, that I don't quite understand. I mean, I, you know, whatever this always gets me in trouble you guys are gonna get a bunch of hate mail you know who what is this guy talking about but i mean so the ultimate form of conservation would actually be buying a fishing license and then never going fishing right because yeah. at the end of the day yeah. you're still catching a fish yarding it out of its home by its jaw and and taking it out of the water and maybe taking a picture of it or something like that i mean you know whatever it's just like let's own what we do kind of thing right yeah we still do it for fun. We still do catch and release. We still do our best to make sure that that fish is, is goes back into its habitat, you know, as close to the way that it came out of it as we can. And I suspect that the fish mortality on most of these activities is really low, right? Thank goodness. But I also just don't see a problem with if you've got a legal limit of whatever it is, two trout, Right. Um, it doesn't mean keep, it doesn't mean bonk two trout every time you go out there, but it also means like, why not bonk two trout? Maybe you want a special dinner with your, with your girl or or whatever, your guy, um, you know, or you want to have that shore lunch on the river. It's a really amazing experience to light a fire, have a recipe in mind, find some wild ingredients nearby, you know, or something like that, like, and put something together and, you know, it, I don't know. I just don't see a problem with that. So that's kind of what we do a lot of, right? So, yep. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, the catch and release uh, mantra. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It, I don't right? know. It'd be, like, it'd be like putting a foam dart tip on an arrow, but like I, I hit, I hit the deer with the arrow, but it didn't puncture anything. And well, and that's illegal, right? That's yeah, right. And that's it's, called it's, harassing wildlife, but yet with fishing, <laughs> for some reason, it's like it's held to the highest standard, right? Like it's, it's the standard, and it, I think you know I fished in a lot of places. Um, Colorado, I think, was the most diehard when it comes to. There's almost zero acceptance of catch and kill. We obviously being fish lifty, like fine with it i mean like you agree there's a limit for a reason biologists have determined this is a healthy give and take system and when i was fishing 
the winters here in New York in 2014 and 15 were, were pretty bad and knocked out a lot of the salmon and steelhead population uh, in the tributary. So I didn't really catch and kill a whole lot. I did earlier in college um, because I was a broke college kid and I was like, well, I just caught a 20 pound salmon. Why would I put it back in the river? <laughs> this is yep. food for the next month for me. Yep. Um, but as those big winters knocked out a big population, um, it was kind of a little bit more diehard on the catch and release out here just because I was fishing every weekend. I didn't need to take a fish every, every time I went. But now yeah. that I was taking a step back and I'm like, hold on, this is this is good. It's a good system. The fish population has exploded back in the positive way. There's plenty to take out of the system. And, and, and again, you, if you take it responsibly, it's a fantastic meal. You're, you're doing your service as one, a, a predator to a, you, you have to remember we are humans, but we are, we're predators. You know, we, we have a chain. check and balance system just like everything else. And it's good to know that you are capable of doing that too. Like I mean, we live in a very relaxed and cush society when it comes to food uh, prevalence. And it, it is fun knowing that, Hey, if you know, things really did go to shit, I would, I'd be fine, at least on the food sense. You know, I know how to harvest game. I know how to break it down. I know how to cook it. I know what's edible in my area. And like you said, when it goes, grows together, it goes together. It, it's an entirely different experience that you're not going to get walking through a grocery aisle store, yeah. taking things here and there off the shelf and trying to put something together. Um, yeah, it also doesn't mean I, crushing. I totally yeah, right. It also doesn't mean that like going out, you know, you can catch two fish per day or you can bonk two trout per day in a lot of the streams and rivers that we fish right so that yeah so obviously i don't advocate for that don't bonk fish right but you know um but i'll bonk my two and i'll eat them uh usually with friends um and then you know maybe i i'll do something else right like you know of course i catch and release fish of course we all do so I'm not saying anything negative about that, but it is just something to sort of contemplate. So I got yep. trouble the other day because I made reference to a really good day of fishing that I had where I was out fishing with my buddy and he is a competitive fly fisherman. And we just got mm -hmm. in the groove and we were just, I think we each caught 21 fish, trout and Rocky Mountain whitefish. And, yeah. and I got in trouble because, you know, I was... And I wasn't bragging. I was just, I'd made reference to this one day we had on the river where we just crushed it. Right. And, and so instead of getting all mad and indignant at the comment, I owned it and I went, yeah, you're right. Um, you know, I did that once. And, uh, but now, so now I sort of think about it a bit more, I guess. And, uh, I've talked about it on the show a bunch and, is just uh, there's all these other layers to enjoy that we already talked about, right? So I can catch yeah. two fish and I can bonk them and go, oh, that was so much fun or whatever. And then I can tie flies. I can photograph. I can video fish feeding. I can um, I can forage for something to eat with those fish. I can build a smoker. I can, like, whatever. I can just sit and relax and not do anything. Um yeah. And the day is still completely enjoyable for me. So anyways, I try not to get preachy preachy on what other guys should do. I just try to share what sort of what I do. 
I think you know we're obviously we're all we're all very avid in conservation because we want we want to be able to continue doing doing what we love you know if, if the fish disappeared tomorrow i know i mean i'm looking at two guys on the screen right here you know three counting myself that like my life would be changed drastically if i couldn't go out and chase fish but mm -hmm. you know we you know i feel like a lot of times we it gets looked at as like the fish is the only resource out there that's being managed you know there has to be habitat for these fish. There has to be things for the fish to eat. And that's not a, you know, it's, it's not unlimited. You know, there's in each body of water, there's a limited amount of resources that it takes to be able to hold a certain number of fish for that population to thrive. So, you know, there's a lot of studies that have been done by a lot of people that are way smarter than me that have determined, you know, Hey, as long as there's this amount of, or there's this size of population in this body, there's enough resources to support it. Okay. So if everybody's catching and releasing all the time, therefore that population is going to grow beyond what the resources in there can sustain, which means the population, you know, the resource that we enjoy is going to, you know, is going to suffer because of it. So if there's not a certain amount of, you know, fish coming out, you know, whether it be by, you know, if, if you're not going to eat it, it's going to die because it's going to starve to death essentially. You know, or, you know, there's other predators in the water. I mean, that's true. But, you know, they're, they're, we got to get away as, as a community and as an industry as a whole of, of every fish has to go back and, and grow because it's just not going to. I mean, I know we see it in bass a lot of times. Like you can, I can catch a largemouth that's got, you know, a four pound, you know, a four pounder's head on a pound and a half body. You know, it's just because mm -hmm. there's so many, oh, yeah. so many fish competing over a limited amount of resources to survive, you know, so, you know, you can take some of these fish out, you know, and you see this a lot on like, you know, private lakes and stuff like that, where the population is managed very specifically for, you know, for trophy style fishing. I mean, they're wanting to grow big fish. There's a, like a set number that's being determined of this many fish need to come out one way or another. You know, there's, there's some way, yeah. there's some ways that that happens that I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that, you know, the fish could be utilized a lot better, but at the end of the day, if we want to see fishing thrive, I mean, th there's got to be that piece of, you know, managing that population. And part of that means taking out what needs to be taken out. So that the balance between the fish and the, the habitat resources is in, is in good balance. Yeah. Well said. Are you guys familiar, this just sort of came across my desk not long ago, that a lot of the anti-hunting, anti-fishing lobbyists are um, getting into positions of power within wildlife management, you know, like they're they're starting to occupy wildlife management. Did you guys see that? What's happening? No. Is that Canada specific or was that tied to the U.S.? No, I think it well? was U.S. specific. But then when I think about it, mm -hmm. you know, how could it not be happening everywhere, right? So it... Yeah. it it brings to mind, I know there's a buddy of mine who lives in BC and he told me a story about this lake where uh, it's a little pond, you know, a high mountain pond. And some local people decided that it was a smart idea to put perch in it. And so these perch, yellow perch sort of just took over, right? But um, what happened was everybody sort of found out that yellow perch was in this lake and they started utilizing it as a, as a resource for catching fish and eating mm -hmm. fish. Right. Um, yeah. And then the wildlife biologists in the area 
poisoned the entire lake, killed off the entire lake, and have closed it to fishing. Yeah. Completely. So, I mean, not that there's right. anything left in it, but they didn't restock it with trout or anything, or maybe they did. I don't remember that. But the bottom line was they killed all the perch that were in it and uh, and then closed it completely. And I was like, well, isn't that interesting on a bunch of different layers, right? Number one is don't be a, don't be a, a what do they call that? Like a pocket stalker or whatever you call it, right? Don't, oh, yeah. Don't, yeah. don't stalk fish, right? I mean, clearly that's a bad idea, but... You know, when it does happen, and it can happen naturally too. I mean, there's fish eggs and fish fry that get entangled in the feathers and and the webbed feet of different birds. And then the bird lands in a lake and the fish get loose, right? So it does happen naturally. But like, I just don't understand that mentality too. What was my point? My point was like, have you guys ever thought about the value of different species? Like, why is a trout worth more than a perch? Why is a fuzzy bear worth more than a big, ugly whitetail buck in people's eyes? You know, like, why is one more worthy of protection than another? It's kind of interesting. So for some reason, we valued these trout. They're the be all end all of everything. And and these perfectly delicious eating perch are, you know, some big problem that needs to be eradicated. Right. So. Right. Versus just saying, okay, it's a perch fish right now. Yeah, have at it. You know what? Yeah, go. I mean, what, what's the benefit of poisoning it for? We think about how that could spill over into another watershed, or I think the biologists damage. are smart about that. I don't think that that was yeah. really an issue, but um, it's still this sort of elitism too that does happen amongst yep. wildlife. Uh, you know, and I don't know that it's wrong. I have to think about this as I say it, but I don't quite understand the the zealot sort of attitude about keeping things pristine and 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 correcting things back to the way they were, you know, like you know, pre-contact or whatever, right? It's like mm-hmm. right. you know, just things change and there's a fishery that's doing just fine with something yes that wasn't there originally, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess, like you said earlier, it's ironic because most of the fisheries, at least around me, were all created out of stocking programs. Oh yeah, over the course of some time. Yeah, you know, so. salmon and steelhead—they're not natural to the Great Lake system. It took creative minds to say, "Hey, we can transplant the Pacific fish into these Great Lakes and create an entirely new sport fishery out there." And I have to do my—I have to double check, but I know. I think brown trout are wild here, but rainbow trout aren't, or it might be the the opposite. It's the, the opposite. The New York, Pennsylvania. Area. I don't. Opposite, I don't yeah. think brown trout are native to North America. You, somebody might have to fact check me on that. Yes. Yeah, that's why I think they they were brought over from Europe yeah. originally. Yeah. So I mean, how far back do you want to reset the natural right? clock? <laughs> but yet we just value your... these brown trout. They're the oh my god. They're the they're the uh, the most valuable species of fish known to man or whatever. It's like, well, why? Right. Why? <laughs> Which is comical. Because, Casey, have you ever uh, took anything for harvest from the bass world? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I love I, bass are phenomenal fish when you cook them, right? Yeah. And, I, and so are pike and a lot of those, you know, 
what we call panfish, at least over here, you know, the, the perch, the sunfish, the bass, mm, yeah, the pike, they get the bones out of them and you, bat, you batter them up right there. A phenomenal fish and they're readily available for most people to catch just about in any pond that's around here. yeah you know in in the bass fishing world there's kind of uh you'll hear a lot of people say like oh well you know largemouth bass are just for you know they're for trophy they're for sport they're not good to eat they're freaking delicious you know i mean mm, yeah. there's you can take any you can take any piece of a, a cow or you know pork or any kind of meat that you know is commercially grown that everybody's readily eating if you prepare it wrong cut it wrong cook it wrong it's going to be horrible so i mean yeah, bass right? is the same the bass is the same way i mean the, yeah. the, i love i call it like bass on a half shell you know leaving the skin on putting it on my pellet smoker you know season it up a little bit and cook it with the skin on it's fantastic nice. but you know yeah. I've got, you know, I'm sure there's, there's buddies of mine that are going to listen to this that are, you know, in the bass fishing, you know, in, in tournament fishing like me that are, you know, going to ready burn me at the stake the next time they see me when I say that. <laughs> but I mean, it, yeah, it's, right. it's the same concept. It's the exact same yeah. thing. I'm not thinking You know, why, yeah. why can, you know, why, why is it okay for me to go, you know, fill my live well plus three coolers with crappy during the summer and go, you know, throw them in grease when I get home and they're delicious. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, why is that okay? But me not, you know, fillet in a four pound largemouth. I mean, yeah, I get exactly. it. Cause that's one, that's one four pound largemouth that I'm not going to have to put on the scales at a tournament, but like the lake's full of them. I mean, it is, it is what it is. Like we're not, we're not running short on fish when, I mean, no, I mean, I'm not keeping them at tournaments. Obviously those, those are catch and release, but I mean, I, anybody that anytime I see somebody like cooking up a large mouth or, you know, seeing, you know, guys pull out of the lake and, you know, pulling it out of the live well to show me like, dude, good for you. You went out and while you tricked, you tricked a fish in its natural habitat with an artificial piece of plastic or something and, and convinced him to eat it. Like you outsmarted that animal. Yeah, man, go throw it on the grill. Yeah. Go, right. Go feed your, fa go, go feed your family with it. I'm good with it. You asked right. me earlier about like maybe a, maybe I didn't answer your question, Casey. You asked me earlier about recipes, and one of the favorite things that I've done is that I will bring a little container of uh, brown sugar um, and salt, right, and then you know catch a trout, like a, a fresh caught cutthroat trout, or or specifically uh, Rocky Mountain whitefish, and throw those in brine, like throw those in the salt and sugar overnight. And then build, like we built a, we just do this every time we go out, we just build a smoker. So you build a smoker mm -hmm. like along the stream up here in Alberta, we have a lot of flat rocks. So we'll build, uh, you know, whatever, like I said, we'll just build a smoker. And then there's all sorts of alder and different flavors of woods that you can gather from nearby and yeah, to sit there. And that was cool. Yeah. Last year we were on the, on that, on our favorite river and Kevin brought this really nice bottle of wine a shattered enough to pop and uh so we were drinking wine and then watching the the fish smoke right beside us that was pretty special so that's awesome you know i would love to have, i would love to have somebody on here one day like do an episode with somebody that, that, that would know way more about this than me but like just to go in depth on all these species of fish that you know have that quote-unquote protection around them of like we don't eat this you know bass trout whatever and just talk about like talk about like the nutritional benefits that are in these wild caught fish 
you know, why that's better than, yeah. you know, going and getting whatever, you know, vacuum sealed, freeze dried, like fish at, at the grocery store or whatever. Like, you know, somebody with some scientific background and like can really explain why a largemouth bass is healthier for you to eat than something at a grocery store, you know, some farm raised tilapia or, or whatever it may be. I just think it would shine a, a really good light on, you know, on everybody that just, I mean, cause it's a lack of knowledge. I mean, ignorance on my part too. I, I don't know what those, those are, you know, you just start talking about like, you know, omega three fatty acid content, stuff like that. I mean, we all, you know, how many people do you know that take fish oil pills? I mean, and why is, why is that better than, you know, eating, eating fish a few extra times a week, but like what, yeah. th- these fish that have the mantra of like, you, you just don't eat this fish. Like, well, let, let, let's somebody, you know, weigh out the pros and cons. Like why, why would this be a good fish to eat? I, I think that'd be a good, a good conversation to have with somebody. Oh yeah. And, and we're supposed to be talking about fly fishing a little bit here too. It's like, why does the activity matter? You know, if I'm, so even like up here with pike, um fly fishermen will not keep pike you know for the most part right obviously there's exceptions yeah but yet somebody throwing you know spin casting gear yeah well you know far more likely to absolutely or or chucking bait in a river and you know will far more likely to keep and and eat that pike right so i don't know it's weird people are weird it's very weird it's weird (laughs) the best i can do is hypothesize on it i think i think it's a I think it's also a part of the evolution of become of, of a through your stage of fishing. Um, you get past that. Like, okay, if I take this pike out of the system, that's one less pike I can catch tomorrow. Yeah. Cause if I know, if I put it back here, I know he's probably going to hang out in the same spot and I got to fish again in three days. Yeah. Oh, well. so maybe I want to keep him. But then too, most people don't know how to, I don't know if this is true, but I imagine most people, don't get into fishing in the same way that you get into hunting where you know you're killing an animal and consuming it. Yeah, that's fishing a good is point. more that recreational I'm on a dock with maybe my dad or my uncle and we're just catching and throwing stuff back. Yeah, but that's the a great killing and eating concept isn't really there yeah. as readily as you know, say hunting is. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You yeah, that that should have been obvious to me. Yeah. Absolutely. There's like that, that camaraderie piece that's kind of, you know, everybody's got that fishing story with family or, or friends or whatever, where you're getting to have that interaction with people while you're, while you're, you know, while you're fishing. Whereas like, you know, if you're hunting, you're, everybody's got to be quiet, you got to be still or whatever. And then, you know, the, the camaraderie part comes after the hunt, you know, while you are, you know, you're cleaning and processing the animal. Whereas maybe with fish, right. maybe with, you're, with you're fishing. You're on the fire. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you're around the fire with harvest, and you know you have, you have the bounty there, and you're, and you're all taking your your kind of piece of it. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, I think we, we 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 all probably have stories where we we've gone fishing and you know gotten skunked, but I mean, still it was still a good day. You know, say you were out on like yeah. you know for y'all, maybe you're out on the river with a buddy, or you know I'm on the lake with with my brother or or whoever, and you know it's you're just getting you're getting to hang out with people that you're choosing to be around. You can kind of tune out the noise of the rest of the world and like you're just having a good time whether you catch a fish or not you know and i, yeah, I don't think like yeah. in, the, in in hunting i don't know that you necessarily get that same that same gratification from it yeah 100 percent. yeah far more solitary isn't it yeah mm-hmm. yep yeah 
what else can we chat about fly fishing wise? Oh, I can go down the, the rabbit hole. <laughs> we, um, yes, let's, let's talk um, a little bit more specifics on uh, what type of trout um, and, you know, what kind of techniques do you really dive into when, you, when you're going out uh, just recreationally? Yeah, that's a funny thing with fly fishing as well, too, isn't it? Is I'm, Why is everything going so polarizing in our world, right? Like, I find that fascinating. So now there's like this sort of riff that I see on social media where, you know, fly fishermen make fun of Euro nymphing guys. Have you seen those memes, yeah. you know? Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. So, um, yeah. I don't know. Or the dry fly, the dry fly purists. Yeah, right. Who only yeah. have the dry fly on a tapered leader. Yeah, and I've run into those people on the stream, you know, where you just be polite and you're like, hey, how's your day going? What's happening? You know, what are you catching fish on? And uh, they're like, well, I only use dry flies. Yeah, it's like, sorry. Yeah. You're one of those. Yeah, sorry. You're one of those. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I like it all, and I like uh, yeah. figuring stuff out. Uh, and there's a buddy of mine, Eric Leslie. He has a YouTube channel. It's just Eric Leslie, and he does fly fishing, uh, sort of documentary style fly fishing things. But he also has a fly tying shop and and flies and things like that. Um, and you know, if you're going to take the time to go out in the field, you're going to take the time that it takes to earn the money to buy the gear and whatnot um, and the gas to get out there, well, then you want to catch fish, right? I mean, yeah, right. you can have fun getting skunk, but too many times in a row and that gets old, right? And um, Real quick. Yeah, so you got to figure it out. So I like everything. Um, up here in Alberta, we do uh, – I do like my dry flies for sure, and I will focus um, – a lot of my fishing activity around those seasons and up here it's like middle of July through to, you know, kind of the middle of September, I guess when right. the dry flies, you know, really work on these, on these Western trout streams. Um, they'll also work in winter too, with the midges and things like that. Um, but then, right. you know, my buddy Tom sort of taught me about some of the Euro nymphing techniques. And I think what was, maybe what generates the animosity towards Euro nymphers is how well it works, you know? So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know for those that don't know, Euro nymphing is a term uh, that it, uh, it means, well, it's a, it's literally what it sounds like. It's a, it's a form of nymph fishing um, that was established over in Europe. So they use really long rods and, and basically they use, the amount of line that extends from the rod tip to the bottom of the stream that they're fishing. And so they just sort of lob the, the weighted flies, usually they're weighted flies. So they sink fast out into the stream and then they just fully extend their arm and the rod out into the stream and, and move their arm down with the current. And you're just feeling you can actually feel the flies bumping on the bottom. Uh, and then you get to know that sort of feeling when the fish hits it and, and then you set the hook and it's really effective because you can at any point in time in a stream, at least out West here, and I'm assuming everywhere there is underwater insect activity. Uh, and so you're just simulating those 
that that those underwater insects and um you know so that it's a really fun way to fish um i also really enjoy uh that like using um strike indicators which is just a fancy word for mm-hmm. bobber right so i really enjoy that yep. so yeah and it's a similar sort of idea it lets you sort of explore parts of the river that might be further out if you're on bigger yep. water it's really effective i find so you do a lot of that john have you yes yeah yep so i will um kind of a hybrid of a euro nymph setup here our rivers are a little too turbulent to really your own nymph with just the um, mm. one you know one weighted fly with a an attractor fly above it so i have to add a little weight to it yeah but it's a similar setup well i will i will run a, a longer rod and run about a 20 foot liter uh with cider and and it is effective but it it's limited because some of our we have, we have very shale uh and slate system here Mm -hmm. so you can get some really weird eddies and some really weird pools and cliffs you know sub cliffs and and where these steelhead will stock up and um you just you just need to your you need to get a uh an indicator on or you need to kind of just straight line nymph it yeah um and in one river out of the three or four holes that i i you know can target i can i can almost change the technique per hole depending on how the fish are set up and where they're moving in the system um you know are they winter fish or those fish that just came in off the the last flood uh looking to stage and start spawning that's gonna you know don't really need to your own if if they're hanging out uh in tail outs and that kind of stuff yeah. so but very familiar with all those techniques do you guys get the hopper season out east there yeah. yeah, so I I primarily fish the steelhead and salmon here, which run uh, a good year from September through May. Oh, and then we I do some inland trout in um, April, May, June if the weather's good, July and August. But usually it gets too hot, the rivers get too yeah. Yeah. Uh, low on water, and you just yeah, I got salmon on the mind by the time August comes. Um, but we, we have just about every normal season when it comes to caddis, uh, terrestrials, and we can start picking them around May if the weather's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably a traditional fly box that you would have uh, even at, out in Alberta. Uh, we don't have midges, though, um, mm-hmm. at least as prevalent. We have trichos, mm-hmm. which I guess are a type of midge. Mm-hmm. Um, those are usually late summer, and by the time those are hatching – uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm scouting some of the other bigger rivers for some early run salmon. Um, but the salmon allow me to swing, um, you know, the big kind of West coast oh, yeah. style flies, Streamers and and big West coast flies. Yeah. Nice. So that, that's my ideal setup is swinging. Um, but I guess is, they're not really streamers, are they? You're swinging like wet flies. No, they're, like- they're fun. Yeah. It's kind of, um, you know, the intruder style fly is a, that's a cool creative concept where you're not really imitating anything other than just a big bright thing floating through the water that that'll get a fish's attention. Um, Cause you're trying to essentially ambush a fish that's moving up river to spawn. You know, they're not um, inland trout. That trout might live there the whole life in, in that one pool or that one string of pools that steelhead could blow through that pool and 
be up by the falls, spawn out and go back to the lake, you know, and, mm. and that's it. So you kind of have to adopt a different mentality on those ones. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> yeah. Well, but it, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it, they're all, all these rivers are within a 30, 45 minute drive. So you could, that's so cool. I could go to the lake. I, I could fish, you know, a smallmouth bass, um, in April, I could go hit the, hit the river and fish for steelhead. And then I can jump 20 minutes inland and, and hit some early season inland trout all in the same day. And I mean, I didn't know how spoiled we were until I started moving around. Yeah, no kidding. And I was like, Oh man, my only touching a salmon is once a year when I, I go on my buddy's trip on labor day. Yeah. We don't uh, have that luxury. Yeah. We got, we're lucky right here. Yeah. We're this weird nook where everything works right in this very, very close setup to each other. Yeah. We have our seasons, you know, where you get going in, you know, maybe April or May and you can get lucky on really warm days. You can uh, fish, you know, midges, dry flies. Um, and then, yeah, then it gets going, you know, well, then we have the runoff, right? So out here we have the Rocky Mountains. So things, water just gets blown out, you know, for basically the month of June, um, even into the first week of July. So then mid-July, it really kicks off again. And then you're heavy into dry flies, caddises primarily, um, mayflies and caddises. Um, we don't have many spring creeks here in Alberta. So we have one or two that I can think of. Like the Bow River is a big, you know, blue ribbon trout stream that runs right through a major city in Calgary. And uh, you can fish that year round and there's really nice uh, rainbows and some browns in there as well. And uh, and then there's another one I can think of that is a spring-fed creek. But it's, yeah, it's really tough fishing. Um, so I tend not to do it. And then it is cold. Even though the water's flowing, it's still cold out. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then that's kind of a thing. But then the big deal around here is like hopper fishing. So September. Yeah. Man, you know, launching huge chunks of grasshopper, <laughs> like these huge grasshopper yeah. patterns, and you just launch them up into the grass, you know, and then kind of yank them off the grass, and they plop down into the water. And oh man, oh mama, there's uh, yeah, uh, that gets my blood. When rolling. I was um, when I was in I was in Colorado for that one year, so I just took advantage of everything. Oh yeah, they would have that there. I did. I did. Do just as much in the salmon fly hatches were the oh, same way. We're yeah. just chucking, you know, a, which a, a, most people don't understand what a salmon fly hatch is. I mean, you're talking a, a 12, 15 inch trout hitting a four inch bug and they gorge themselves on it. And yeah. it's just, you know, these flies are all up in your, your ears and you got to be real comfortable with insects in some of those <laughs> scenarios because yeah. those bugs don't care that you're there and they will land on you and, yeah. and get all, get all around you. But it is, it's fun, you know, it, and when you're in the chaos of a hatch, uh, I mean, we could f do a podcast episode purely on a caddis or a mayfly hatch and the chaos that ensues on a river when you are <laughs> trying to just, decipher your fly from all the thousands of flies that are floating yeah. down the river at the same time. But it, it is, yeah. it's an amazing thing. Cause it, it is so, uh, you know, it's a very finite thing when it, when it happens in a day, it could, it could be a 30 minute window of time that it happens. Yep. Um, or, you know, 
usually later in the season they're longer, but those early season or late season hatches were such a narrow window of time where the 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 fish turn on to what's going on in the system and the flies are all around you and you gotta try and figure out which fly on the on the water is yours and was that boil was that was that my fly? Was it was it close? Yeah. Did I miss it? And yeah. It's it's fun chaos. Yeah. We have a lot of fish biology up here in Alberta as well, where we have obviously with our winters, we have limitations to what bodies of water these fish can occupy at it, you know, especially in the winter. Um so we have that dynamic thrown in as well, where fish will literally move out of some of these really great streams, you know, because it's frozen solid kind of thing, right? Um, yep. And they'll move down into the bigger water, the bigger rivers. And so there's this, you know, sort of annual migration of up and down and at different times of year, different spawning periods between the browns and the cutthroats and yeah, there's usually always something going on, but it can be tricky. We still get skunked yeah. from time to time where you just can't figure it out or the fish just aren't there yet or things like that. But yep. yeah, it's fun to figure yeah. out. I'm actually headed up to the Yukon in uh, May, mid-May. May. I just booked my ticket today, uh, May oh, 11th. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> so we're going up there for Arctic grayling. Do you guys, you guys won't have anything. You don't, you guys don't have grayling. Not this far south. No. It would probably be maybe a six-hour drive north for me. Into but Quebec? We have, yeah, and it, straight into Quebec. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did map it out once. I had a, a couple buddies that run the Atlantic salmon fishery every uh, every summer. And it takes them about 13 hours to get out there. That one's up, you know, by Montreal, Quebec mm. area. But if I were to go about six hours straight north before I would hit those Arctic char and those grayling. Mm. Um, well, that's not too fisheries. bad. That's pretty close. No, it's actually. not. And, um, you know, it's probably on the shorter list. Um, believe it or not, even being in the Army and traveling to Canada can sometimes be just enough of a bit pain to not do it. Really? Um, really? Yeah. It is, they used to have a secu- – um, you just had to – go to your security officer and be like, Hey, I plan on traveling to Canada. You needed a pass people, you know, the, the border crossing in, um, out by Watertown was pretty popular with military guys going back and forth. So you just, it was just enough of a hurdle to not pull off a weekend trip getting up there when I was like, I can go catch everything right here. I don't need to take that six hour hike, but now that it's, it's free and easy. It's a, uh, get, broaden my horizons on where I get out. But we, we, you know, like I said, we're so spoiled. <laughs> I can go to the lower Niagara, catch lake trout. Oh wow! Um, really? Yeah, we we have, we have a very diverse fishery here. You know, we have Atlantic salmon that do um, live in Lake Ontario year round. Yeah, and uh, brown trout, yeah, everything. And we get brown trout that run um, out of the lakes too. So you mm. get a 15, 20 pound brown trout. And you're like, how is this the same thing that's in the back, you know, the inland Creek that's <laughs> inland that's Creek fishing. Crazy. You, you catch guys a 12, are so lucky. Brown trout. And you're like, Oh my God. But you go to the lake run ones and they're 15 pounders. And you're like, how is this the same fish? Yeah. But, yeah. You know, they are a product of the environment that they're in. And Lake Ontario is a, it's a, phenomenal fishery when it comes to the bait how, fish population. how crowded is it for you guys fishing like 
I oh, think of New York so and bad. it's like you guys got the population of Canada in one state kind yeah. of thing. So yeah. And it, everyone and their brother got into fishing during the COVID oh. shutdown. Um, and it, it's put a lot of strain on the fishery and the West side, uh, Lake Ontario is kind of, you have, you have the left, the West side of the lake and then the East side of the lake. East side of the lake usually has the better fishing. Um, but like all through college, the West side was, it wasn't well known and the fish was plentiful. They were huge, but now it's, it's, it's gotten a lot more, um, this is kind of the downside of Instagram and social media. Mm-hmm. It's gotten a lot more attention, a lot more fishing pressure over the years. So the well, and water dynamic on that, it's, it's weird The Lake Erie fishery 10, between probably 2013 and 2017 was it was it was bad and some of my favorite creeks i would walk prime time prime season i would walk four or five miles of the creek and see three or four fish mm. and now i mean the, the it's chock full of fish every pool has dozens of them in it and it's mm. back to where it was in the 2000 kind of 10 era Wow, and the Lake Ontario it, it it flipped. The Lake Ontario section was like that during that window where the Lake Erie section was barren, and the last probably four or five years it's kind of flipped the other way, uh, where the Lake Erie section is out producing. But the Lake Erie section doesn't have the brown trout or the salmon run that the Lake Ontario section does. Mm. But mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a very just you know two years it could be entirely different mm-hmm. it really depends on what the state stocking program looks like how much fishing pressure gets pushed on it and that is where there's a little bit of an added benefit to the catch and release um mantra just in the some type of preservation because it did save the population of lake ontario in the 2014 2015 era that the the bait fish population got so decimated, the state even lowered the uh, daily limit for most of these lake run fish. Hmm. And it took a few years for them to repopulate. COVID messed things up a little bit. We have teams from Canada that come down um, to do a lot of the lamprey uh, population control. We have a huge lamprey problem across most of the Great Great Lakes. And uh, they weren't able to do it because of COVID. So we have this is weird confluence of things. And it's it's a heavily stocked fishery. Um, oh, is it? Just due to the nature of it. And it, yeah. even though there's um, about a 60% wild uh, repopulation, especially amongst the salmon, uh, it's still a very stocking heavy um, yeah, yeah. fishery. And it, it, it only takes one little kind of thing to... Flip everything on its head for a few years. Um, well, see, that's where a guy like so, me has to be a little careful with my opinions on things like this, right? It's like, you know, you get stuck in your bubble of, you know, what it's like here. And so, therefore, it's like that everywhere. And that's just clearly yeah. not the case, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with your one statement, though, when you said, you know, that the wildlife managers, they, the biologists, at least anyways, they know what they're doing, right? Like, yeah, I get a lot of anti wildlife biologist sentiment around here, mostly from people that aren't very educated in the whole thing. But yeah, you mm-hmm. know, they know what they're doing. They, uh, yeah, I, I admire the work that they do for the most part. 
I do too. And every time I see them out there, I try and help them out because they're just, you know, they're doing their job and, and ultimately they care just as much as you do being on the river um, and being, uh, you know, a hunter. Yeah. Right. Paying, paying for the tags and, and going out and doing those things. You want that, you know, you want the people who are directly responsible for surveys, stocking programs to hear your voice, take it into consideration, have a say in it and, you know, have some type of, whether it's a, a working agreement or debate on how things could improve or things need to kind of mm-hmm. shake left and right. You know, they rely on those guys like us who are out there every day, mm-hmm. just as much as we rely on them for the scientific side of the thing. Yeah. Um, is it right if I just give you guys a bit of a notice here that I've got about 15 minutes left to give you? Is that yeah, okay? No. So we can wrap it up if you want. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. Let, let, let's, uh, well, I know we, uh, um, John, I know, you know, scattered throughout the, throughout the episode here, you, you mentioned all of your, you know, your, your media avenues, your, your websites, your, your podcast, the, from the wild TV show and all that, but let's, let's put it all right here one more time. Just, um, just so that our listeners know where they can, um, where they can find you and where they can, they can see all of these things that we're talking about, you know, your Instagram, you know, your, your awesome pictures that you have, these, you know, your educational pieces on your, on your website and all that. Just where can, uh, how can people find you and, and get more involved with what you're doing? Oh, thanks for that opportunity, Casey. Yeah. So the website is over at food Field podcast.com all one word um you can find me on instagram at food afield podcast again all one word um and then through even on the website you can just click i'm on twitter and facebook um the other thing that i've just sort of gotten into lately is uh pinterest believe it or not like pinterest pinterest seems to be uh pretty engaged place especially for food and recipes and stuff right a lot of mm-hmm. people go there yeah. for recipes so i've kind of gotten into it there as well but yeah if you just head over to the website that's your best bet because all the episodes are there um we do have members content as well that i'm working on um and i you know for the cost of a latte a month you can be a member and and you know more than me supplying you with stuff you're actually supplying me with some financial support it costs a lot of money to to run these this show and so if i can recover a little bit of that money that'd be great but i try to give back at least as much as i get in the form of you know uh, member specific episodes or recipes or behind the scenes things stuff like that so yeah it's all good. I appreciate any support that I can get, including from you guys. I really thank you very much for having me on the show here and admire what you guys are doing too. Awesome, man. We've definitely, here, we've definitely enjoyed, enjoyed our time here and uh, hopefully we can get you on again in the future too. Cause it sounds like we definitely have a, have a lot more we could, we could keep rambling on about. Yeah. <laughs> now we haven't my... even touched the hunting. <laughs> yeah, so that's not, they, yeah. we'll have to get you on an episode of the of the Hunt Lift Eat podcast next and let you dive into some of your traditional bow hunting and stuff like that. Yeah, I know actually, my biggest it's gonna be great. Sorry. I was gonna say my biggest takeaway but, from it around the twenty minute mark, I made myself a note here where uh where John referred to himself as uh, you know, the grandpa being a badass here. So you know, from now, John's my inaugural, you know, my, my Canadian badass grandpa now. <laughs> I got a message the other day on Instagram, an Instagram message, and it was 
from a lady who, I don't know what she was trying to do, but she said, she said, you're so cute. You remind me of a little old grandpa. And I was like, oh my gosh, like gone are the, <laughs> gone are the days. You guys are still in the wheelhouse of, you know, of uh, women finding, not calling you little old grandpas, I guess, right? So enjoy well, it. You, you can just, you can rock the, the badass grandpa title with pride. <laughs> okay, yeah. I will. Thanks, bud. Awesome. Well, to all our listeners, we thank y'all for uh, thank y'all for tuning in for this. Hope y'all enjoyed it. So make sure you head over to um, Fish Lift Eight Official Instagram page. Um, give us a follow and um, head over to thehuntlifteat.com and pick you up some Fish Lift Eat merch. Um, but you know, if, as always, if you if you took anything from this episode and you go out in the field and utilize it, make sure you tag us and send that to us so that we can feature you on our page and. Make sure you head over to John and you know subscribe and follow everything he's doing. And um, boys, I have enjoyed it, and I can't wait to do it again. So, to all our listeners, we appreciate the hell out of y'all, and we will catch y'all again on the next go around. Y'all have a good one. Thanks. <laughs>